Like you're getting more chlorine in a shower than drinking a glass of tap water with chlorine because our bodies don't have that transdermally we absorb quite easily. And when we're drinking or eating, we of course absorb, but there's more filtering systems like the, the kidneys, the liver, the digestive enzymes and all of that stuff. You're listening to The Untaming Podcast. Rewild the child. Here is your host, Emily Giles. Hi, I'm Emily and you're listening to The Untaming Podcast. So today we are at the first quarter of the ice moon in the Southern Hemisphere. I hope you enjoyed the last episode with Dr. Sarah Schmid on free birth. Since recording that episode, Sarah has written up her birth story for her ninth child, who was born in January of this year. If any of you are interested in reading it, the story is available on her website. I found it really sweet to read of the help her 11-year-old son provided with setting up of the birth space. Uh, in the next episode, I speak with Dr. Carla Hannaford. She is the author of Smart Moves, and her specialty is the connection between movement and learning. But today, we have Nadine Artemis back again. Enjoy. Nadine Artemis lives in Ontario, Canada with her life partner Ron and their son Leif. Nadine Artemis is an innovative aromacologist. She develops immune-enhancing formulas and medicinal blends for health and wellness. She is the creator of Living Libations, an exquisite line of serums and elixirs for those seeking the purest botanical health products on the planet. Nadine holds a degree in women's studies and her thesis was on the female orgasm. Nadine has published multiple books, including one on dental health and also Renegade Beauty, Reveal and Revive Your Natural Radiance, Beauty Secrets, Solutions and Preparations. Last night she had eight hours of sleep and for breakfast today she had liver pate on yam-based flatbread with some pickled ginger. Nadine, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be back. So this is the third time we've chatted. In the first two times, we talked about skincare and wise interactions with the sun and also about dental health. So each of these topics you covered in your book, Renegade Beauty. And now that I own a copy of your book, I can see that it's packed full with information. So today I'd like to talk about other topics you covered in there. Um, to start, you have a chapter titled The Mystery and History of beauty. Can you give us a brief rundown on the historical evolution of beauty? <laughs> sure, I'll just do that in one minute. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's sort of hardly on where to start in that. Well, I really just feel like, I mean, present day, which isn't obviously the history, but obviously, mm. you know, beauty, I'd say in the last like 50 years, has just almost become sort of a commercial endeavor and it just means like applying makeup and cream to your skin. I, I mean, it seems like on one level, right. And to mm. achieve beauty is just really about consuming. Um, and I really feel that, you know, 
beauty isn't about applying another you know jar of cream or having another supplement it's really like a feeling and i feel like it's also just truly a communion so it's a communion with your body or can be a communion hopefully with the universe with the sun and the you know the elements of nature whatever creates us i feel like you know hopefully it's a communion with that or you know beauty when you're watching a sunrise or walking in the woods that kind of thing mm. and um that's where i really feel like you know sort of that more authentic meaning to beauty rather than being sort of caught up in something like the beauty industry and like right. social media yeah. filters <laughs> mm. and i guess that's relevant to my next question which is um because a chapter in your book is dedicated to the elements so i like what you said there about walking in the sun and so, you know, while you and I have already covered the sun in a previous episode, could you give us a quick review of the importance of interacting with the sun and then maybe a more detailed look at the other elements? Yeah. So um, speaking of the elements in general, I just because it's like, you know, how are we going to revive ourselves? You know, whether you're a mom or a teen or, you know, just a human being on the planet, I think we're all looking for that. You know, how do we recharge the cells? How do we rejuvenate our spirit? And obviously that's not going to come from, you know, just applying cream to your face, that kind of thing. And so, uh, you know, as is the thesis of my book, and I, I really feel that it's about engaging with, it's about our relation to creation. And to me, creation is can be engaged with, so to speak. Like what's tangible with creation, I feel, is the element which is, you know, water, earth, wind, and fire, so to speak. Hmm. And um, that's where I feel like we can find the sustenance from co co the cosmos to revive us. And I, I like to call that cosmoetics, where we're using the source substance of the cosmos to rejuvenate our beings. And so that's like, you know, with water, you know, um, which can simply be found in our homes most of the time. And, you know, hopefully you can have a water filter. You've got some clean water coming out of your taps. And if not, put a filter on it. And, you know, it's like bathing, showering. You can have fun with, like, hot plunge, I mean, hot, cold showers, cold plunges, jumping into the ocean to fresh lakes, rivers, just remembering, you know, that water is a part of our life, not just, like, drinking it. Mm. And then, you know, air, getting that fresh air, um, you know, not wearing, you know, polyester underwear, <laughs> which, you know, letting things breathe. There's a respiration cycle to the universe and there's a respiration cycle to our bodies, not just to our breathing, but to our pores, you know, even, even the teeth, actually, there's like this sort of, uh, there's a fluidity where there's an exchange of fluid, like going, you know, coming out of the tooth with, uh, hopefully we talked about that in our other podcast, but that we got to allow the body parts to breathe. Um, and then earth. So obviously our, our literal food sustenance, hopefully you can find, you know, clean, whole food sources. And then it's also about like, you know, lying on the earth, planting our feet in the ground, um, or like even using a clay mask, just getting in touch with the earth element. And of course, all the beautiful ingredients that I like to formulate with are all beautiful botanicals uh, mm. from the earth. And then the sunshine, which is really the capstone of our existence. 
it's really keeping everything alive. And so we want to understand the sun. We want to understand our relationship with the sun, how to engage with the sun wisely, and, you know, not just be existing in this uh, where we're really afraid of the sun. Because tuning into the sun, not just sunbathing, but being out in the sun um, creates, so not, you know, so I'm saying you can be dressed, you can have a hat on. It's not about just, you know, peeling it back and lying in the sun. That's important too, because our skin is filled with vitamin D receptors that need to engage with the sun's rays. Because when sunbeams hit our skin, there's a beautiful alchemical uh, communion that produces uh, vitamin D, as we know, which is actually a hormone. And, that, you know, uh, and so many other things like antimicrobial peptides that create catholicidins, which are great for the immune system. Uh, also, a healthy cholesterol sulfate is created and our blood is cleansed. So we need more than just taking vitamin D supplements. But there's also about being out in the sun where because the sunbathing part is about the ultraviolet rays about that. So if you think of a rainbow. It's the violet of the rainbow. And then, but there's all the, you know, colors and the light spectrum in between of, of visible and invisible light. And the red light provides the, um, there's the visible light and then there's the infrared. And so just being outside or walking in the forest or being in a garden, because all things living, all things green retain the infrared energy. And that's really important for our cellular function and for our mitochondria. So it's very important that we're engaging with the sun. But then there's also just like, you know, noticing or being witnessing the sun, if possible, you know, at sunrise. And then hopefully at noon, you can get out somewhere for lunch and get some vitamin D and then joining in the sun setting. And then there's a, a rhythm that we can have. It's a deeper connection to the cosmos when, because literally being with the sun in those times sets our circadian rhythms, which, you know, then there's a whole cascade of other things that once we're in tune with the circadian rhythms, that there's going to be other health benefits that happen. And something that I've, I was going to say, something really fascinating that I've learned recently, as much as I, you know, I, research the sun and mitochondria and stuff, but I didn't know this, but there is, um, we were aware of the nighttime production of melatonin that is secreted from the pineal gland and circulates through our blood and then signals it's time to go to sleep. Um, well, daytime, morning light, and, uh, you know, so even if it's just 10 minutes of being in that morning sun, uh, watching the sunrise, that helps the melatonin be secreted at night but what I didn't know and which is just so fascinating is that there's a daytime cellular production of melatonin that mm. happens in the cell and doesn't circulate through the blood and so you don't get sleepy and it's only generated by the infrared in the sun or it could be generated by you know red light panels a red light bed red light therapy so it's great that there are these wonderful technologies that are really almost like capturing the elements and then, you know, making it in a way that we can use it at home, like a pulse electromagnetic frequencies or, you know, ozone or the red light therapy, for example. But why this is important is because uh, the mitochondria convert to energy to the ATP. And in that production, 
there is always a waste product. No matter how healthy you are, there is going to be some oxidative stress and some reactive oxygen species from that catalytic action. And so this daytime production of melatonin only happens in the cell and it creates a coolant. So the melatonin is like this coolant that cools the antioxidant stress and is actually more powerful than glutathione. And that literally requires us because we were, you know, creatures that, you know, until about the last 120 years, we spent a lot more time outside and we would have easily picked up on all that infrared energy. Well, this makes me think of one of the sections where you wrote about the connection with water and sunlight. Like, uh, I think you called it human photosynthesis. Yes. Yeah. So that's what, yeah. So our time in the sun is literally like our form of photosynthesis. Mm. Yeah. It's it's really, um, (laughs) really interesting. Now, um, I vaguely remember hearing somewhere that, I mean, I don't even know if this makes sense, so bear with me, that um, so bathing or swimming outside in natural bodies of water like the ocean or a lake or river has numerous benefits and those benefits continue to, I don't know, multiply for hours, maybe even days afterwards, but that if we then come home and wash ourselves off in a foamy shower afterwards, it puts an abrupt end to those benefits. Does any of that's that make sense? That's sort of or? accurate. It's um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, swimming, ocean, you know, all that is great. But what actually this referring to is sunbathing. So mm-hmm. because there's that um, alchemical situation with the sunbeams filling up our vitamin D receptors, and there's like, uh, you know, chemical things happening, like those antimicrobial peptides and the cholesterol sulfate being created and all of that. So it's actually like when you're sunbathing, you can have water, like you can be in bodies of water after, but it's about bathing in, like so jump in that lake, jump in that ocean, or if you have like, you know, well water coming out of your taps, you'll be fine. It's the municipal tap water that would be an issue because it's with chlorine or jumping in a pool or yeah, having that shower and then just soaping down your body. You're mm. kind of removing that beautiful alchemy before it's had a time to fully finish its cycle. Right. Now, so you mentioned chlorinated water, but in your book you said that there are, what, like 300 chemicals in tap water? Could you name like a couple of the Yeah, and I think it would, it generally depends on, you know, that municipality, that area, what's Mm. going on. But we, yeah, there's things like, well, obviously chlorine, fluoride, and then they're finding, you know, hormones from birth Mm. control pills, uh, you know, cocaine. Like, it's like, because it's, we're urinating in that water and then it's getting cleaned. And so what people are urinating which is filled with their, yeah, even like yeah, antidepressants. Right. Um, so whatever pharma the, the community's on is going to be in the water. Yuck. Yeah. <laughs> and so what, what happens to you if you, say, wash in chlorinated water? What's that chlorine doing? Well, from, you know, from my perspective, now that we know more about the microbiome, um, what we know is that, you know, like you're getting more chlorine in a shower than drinking a glass of tap water with chlorine because our bodies don't have that, um, like transdermally we're, we absorb quite easily. Um, and when we're 
drinking or eating, we of course absorb, but there's more filtering systems like, you know, the, the kidneys, the liver, the digestive enzymes and all of that stuff. So it, it can be quite a load. And, you know, if, there, if you're experiencing things like dry skin and dandruff, you know, know that will, will not be helped by the chlorine because it, it's just, you know, it doesn't allow the microbiome to thrive. Right. And is this transdermally, I'm assuming that means like what, through the skin? Yes. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Dermal being skin. And yeah, so so what's cool, well, like, so our skins kind of like can be like kryptonite if we're applying things mm. to our skin that aren't ideal. And then our body, you know, then that's seeping into the bloodstream and the body has to deal with it. But what's also cool is that our skin, you know, does have this sort of superpower that it can yeah. absorb. And so let's put in like put on our skin things that will benefit our body like 100%. Um, for example, we have a cream that we, you know, add vitamin D to because that's a one way to actually bring in the vitamin D. Or when you're working with, you know, things like pure essential oils, then you've got all those beautiful monoterpenes um, and all the benefits of the essential oils that get to work on the circulatory system and all that kind of good stuff. So it's like, let's use that time where we're quote unquote beautifying ourselves to actually like infuse our bodies with with goodness not just neutrality or and and certainly not nothing that we would want to have the body extra deal with so to speak Mm. let's not tax our bodies and let's go beyond neutrality because it's fun where we get to you know use this moment to boost our health boost our beauty rather than take it down yeah so i guess is this the same sort of thing as um like if you're using some sort of I guess a foamy sort of soap or something like that, that the same sort of thing is happening. You're applying it to your body and it's seeping in. And Yeah, well, the soap does it. I mean, yeah, again, it depends on the type of soap. Soap mm. it can be good, obviously, if it's natural. And, yeah. uh, it's you know, you want to have a natural bar of soap around. We make ones that are, we have a clay and a charcoal one. Um, but there's so many people making, like, really – healthy natural soaps and you know you want to like keep your nails clean hands clean you want to wash pits and bits but no part of our you know body needs that like our arms and thighs don't need this like daily lathering of soap it will just lead to dryness and of course if you're not using a bar soap or I mean a natural one using something like you know dove or like Mm. all the crazy shower gels and stuff out there you know then it's filled with chemicals and sodium oil sulfate um even like uh, you know, then we're getting the sulfates and the nitrates in our hair if we're using it for our scalp. And there's so many pores on the head. So that's a huge absorption area. So we don't need to use soap in that way. And then also on the face, because then, you know, people might not, they might get the arms and thigh thing, but we always really think of cleaning our faces and it's got to be with soap. But now that we've been studying the microbiome, researchers are able to see that soap and like synthetic soaps, including like so many things at the health food store, which you think are natural are not. And even if they're a mild foaming cleanser, they've still got surfactants that aren't going to be useful for our skin. And now scientists can see that these common face washes are actually leaving microscopic surfactant splinters in the stratum corneum, which is the top layer of our skin. And these microscopic splinters do not rinse away as we rinse our faces and cleanse them, but just slowly build up over time 
and that, you know, eventually can lead to various microbiome imbalances with the skin, like melasma, eczema patches, just little things going on with your face that you're like, oh, where's that coming from? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> how, would you, how would you get rid of that? Would you just stop using it and eventually it would go away? Yeah. Um, and then what we recommend and, uh, is, the, is washing with oil, which oh, yeah. may, you know, can sound crazy to people, especially if they have acne. But really, this is like, because I'm always looking, when I'm going into an area of the body, I'm always like, well, you know, our bodies are brilliantly designed. So if we just sort of take away the clutter for a minute, step back and really think, how was the body designed like for this system to work, right? Before we sort of mm. get our hands in there. And so want to look, you want to look at like sort of, yeah, what's the natural flow of the body in that area? You know, how does the skin actually stay clean? Like what's going on? And really is even as gross as it sounds, it's actually, you know, the microbiome and the bacteria on our skin that are the real beautician. So we don't want to be doing things that mess up the microbiome or mutate the microbiome and throw that bacteria off and then allow things like pathogens to thrive because we've weakened the benefits of the beneficial bacteria. So, you know, when we look to ancient cultures before they had foaming cleansers and acne facial washes, they were all using oil to cleanse the body, you know, whether it's like Turkish or Roman baths, um, mm. Berber women of Morocco, um, Egyptian skincare, traditional Chinese medicine um, that uses things like gua sha with oil in the skincare. Um, the Turkish had this striegel, it was called, which was like kind of like a skin spatula um, where they would. And it, it's scraping the skin, but it's kind of, that's kind of a harsh word because it's more just like like as you are with a gua sha and you're moving the oil around. But they would, you know, even do that to the whole body where you're putting oil on and then you're using like it's almost like the back of a butter knife. The striegel was um, and then some cultures used horn that was, you know, filed into so again, something like a butter knife, like a gua sha. And, um, you know, that's really what's going to be able to lift things off, you know, out of the pores and really condition the skin and not mess with the lipid layers and the stratum corneum, which is so precious. And we're putting all these chemicals in, leaving the cells vulnerable and then leaving the next generation of cells, which are ready, you know, growing themselves to come up and, and being the the cells that are on the top layer and when we're adding chemicals to that process we're damaging the next generation of cells that are coming up right yes okay now something i've been curious about for a while and i did find my answers in your book so i'm hoping you can <laughs> share a little bit with us it's the effects of uh, all the modern day artificial scents like um mm -hmm. you know perfumes and even like bathroom sprays and things like that like the effects of those on our olfactory senses yeah well they're really i mean that's chemicals it's phthalates it's fragrance oils that just can take such a excuse me a toll on our liver and um yeah there's just so many chemicals and, and parabens in there that yeah, I don't know per se what it does to the olfactory on like a scientific level. <laughs> like I haven't fully studied the inhalations of that um, because I just know 
that the chemicals use just are not good for any part of our body, let alone the olfactory system. However, yeah. when we're smelling like an essential oil, it's there's so many benefits as though even if you can't, even if you don't have a sense of smell, if you're smelling like any of them, like frankincense, rosemary, the molecules are traveling up into the olfactory and, um, you know, doing their magic and before they're going out into the rest of the body. So again, it's like we have, it's kind of like our skin where we can be inhaling wonderful things that uplift our emotions and our spirit and like have a good, you know, good benefits to our physiology, or we can be inhaling things that disrupt our endocrine system and our liver and our immune system. You know, perfumes were actually created. Um, uh, there's this expression, well, ex they were created to kind of get in touch with spirit because, you know, smell is a tangible and intangible. You can smell something so you know there is something that exists, and yet it's invisible. So for a lot of the ancient world, is that feeling that you were communicating with spirit. Mm. So that was one of the primary things of perfume besides like you know smelling good and we had less showers back then and that kind of thing but also yeah. there's this expression from rome uh, ancient rome is thiamectomy which is like let your perfume be your medicine which makes so much sense to me because the perfumes we make are just so gorgeous but they're filled with you know beautiful smelling medicinal oils that you know like we use rose to heal gum tissue and it's in our beautiful roses shining everywhere perfume. And so right. I think it's just so cool that we have these beautiful substances that, you know, can do the deep work of the body, but really uplift the spirit at the same time. Well, yeah, see, it makes me think how like the natural sense of our bodies, like you wrote this mm -hmm. in your book, have they have a purpose as our a uh, personal pheromone calling card, I think you called it. Yes. Yeah, that's true too. So if we are using, so when we're using essential oils as a deodorant, it's enhancing our smell. It's not masking it. It's more like this union of plant pheromone with your pheromone and you're not masking. And when we're using synthetic scents, it can throw off our, our own scent messaging and, mm. um, you know, lead to... Even with uh, birth control, which is not a perfume, obviously, but it does throw off, uh, studies show, our mating choices. So women on birth control make different choices than when they're not on birth control. Right, yes. And that is related to the olfactory situation. Yeah. Yeah. And how about the use of uh, deodorants and antiperspirants, um maybe like the effects on our skin and what that's doing to us, uh, like maybe our sweat glands. Yeah, well, there's, you know, ingredients in deodorants like parabens and aluminum. And, uh, for example, diseased brush tissue, when it's studied, 99% have parabens in them, which is this ingredient that's used as a preservative. And it's only ever, you know, if you are using it in a product, it only has to be in there at 0.01%. So I think that's also a good example of how, I mean, to me, every drop that goes in a bottle is important. And I think that really speaks to us because we can see how these ingredients that are used in infinitesimal amounts do show up in the body. And, um, you know, 
we've got to take care of that area because it's very connected to our lymph nodes. And a lot of us shave. So then we're sending that stuff directly into the pores. And then you're getting a daily dose of aluminum for like, you know, 40, 60, 80 years or whatever. And yeah, we're just sending those chemicals into our body. But again, we've got choices. I mean, even a drop of sandalwood in each pit is like a deal. It will last you, like if you didn't shower, you're probably going to be smelling good for like two or three days with that just simple gesture. Gesture. Yeah. (laughs) It's so much more simple. Yeah. Now, I'm thinking of what you were saying about how these things, all these different um, commercial sprays that we're using are just kind of masking our natural scent Mm -hmm. and I guess as as modern humans we have this almost paranoia about smelling anything natural about ourselves yes yeah um I think you called it in your book like aromatic paranoia did I (laughs) (laughs) yes so well I think too when we want to you know hopefully meld a bit more with our natural aromas but also we don't want to mask that information from ourselves either in a way right we don't Mm. want to just have a band-aid solution because we stink we want to know if i mean you know we all we all can produce the body odors but you know what i mean if it's like an issue you want to know about it like if there's halitosis like great you have breath mint but we want to deal with the root cause um right and so we want to know that and see, so we don't want to always be masking things, but the lovely thing about, you know, using, um, then, you know, natural essential oils, we make the, these poetic pits for the armpits. And then that is harmonizing with your aroma, mm. you know? So it's like, you're not disguising yourself, but you're kind of, it, it's really neat. Cause the oils just sort of take how you smell and then make it like pretty and acceptable. <laughs> Which is kind of cool, a really cool alchemy, right? Because then you yeah. can be, you know, pleasant for your neighbors, but like not being a detriment for your body and to yourself. Yes, I like that. <laughs> and yeah, so now what about the effects of, a, say, shaving, underarm shaving? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, to each their own. But again, if you're going to shave, you know, you don't want to be putting a synthetic deodorant on, on under that. Mm-hmm. Um, I find too, like for women, you can shave and get pretty, you can have a, a good shave, but maybe not go right down to the skin. It's okay. kind of nice unless you really need to, because then, you know, you also don't get that harder stubble and, you know, it grows back so quickly anyway. It's just like a bit softer, I find, you know, if you don't go like all the way, but yeah, hair removal is fine. I feel like um, but for the yoni area, we do, you know, it's also protective. It's kind of mm-hmm. like removing your eyebrows. They have a purpose. It's, you know, you don't want to take that away. But, I mean, of course, if you got to do your bikini line or something. But you know what? I always just wear, like, bathing suit shorts. Right, yeah. You know? <laughs> Keep it easy. Much simpler, yes. Well, yeah, I was wondering about your thoughts on hair removal, the different types, like shaving compared to waxing or plucking or um, uh, there are other things, aren't there? Laser. Yeah, you know, I, I haven't gone too much into that because, I mean, I feel like, you know, I luckily don't have too much hair management there. Mm-hmm. So I haven't thought about it too much. But, you know, if you're going to use a wax, uh, there's better waxes. You don't want to use a paraffin. Uh, there's also mm-hmm. sugaring. 
which is interesting. But nothing too nothing too wrong with a with a razor. You just don't want to make sure you're not getting ingrown hairs and stuff. And if you do, um, you know, peppermint works well with that. Even just dry brushing the skin in general and getting the circulation going helps. Right. You know, you definitely don't want to be using like you know shaving foam and things that are synthetic. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, while we're still talking about you know shaving and legs, what a, what insight do you have to share regarding varicose veins? Yeah, so varicose veins is a really like a circulatory thing. So there's, um, you know, herbs that you can use, to, uh, herbs and like vitamin C that you can use to strengthen the uh, strength of the veins, the tenacity mm-hmm. of the tissue there. And then um, we have a blend called uh, Verve Tonic. And you can just um, simply apply that to varicose veins or spider veins. And that helps with the circulation. And then what you can also do is take a drop of that verb tonic and then a dry brush. And then you can, you know, dry brush the legs. Now over the varicose veins or spider veins, you you kind of want to avoid that. You don't need to go over that with the dry brush, but you can do everywhere else and it will get the circulation going. Um, so it's about really circulation and the tenacity of the vein tissue. Right, and with regards to circulation, I guess, well, you said vitamin C and that sort of thing, but I guess movement would also help there as well, wouldn't it? Oh, for sure, movement. Um, yep. You know, anything that gets the lymph going mm-hmm. and the vagus nerve, health of that, just, yeah, that, you know, and a lot of people can have even active lifestyles but still have a sluggish lymph system. Mm. So, you know, kind of just seeing how that relates to you or what might be going on there. Yeah. Now, I love that in your book you have an entire chapter dedicated each to um, vaginas and to breasts, Mm -hmm. and I wondered if we can talk about the effects on them in relation to birth control. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Also, I just thought I'd say that my – my new friend, uh, Ricky Lake and her partner, Abby Epstein, they did a documentary called the business of birth Mm. about 20 years ago. And they have just a month ago launched uh, another documentary called, um, I can't remember what it's called, but it's about the pill. What is it? called? Ah. Yeah. And so they've really gone in depth and I, I, I believe you can just go to their website and you can view the documentary. You can, you know, buy a, a way to watch it online Mm-hmm. And so I highly recommend that because they really cover a lot, you know, a lot about the birth control pill, which yeah. essentially is really just putting you into menopause, which is not ideal. Right. No. <laughs> wow. And so, yeah, how does this, you, you talked about how it affects the breasts, but also how it affects the vagina, like in quite different ways, because they're quite different parts, but. <laughs> yeah, and really, and then again, the effects can be sort of individual, but it is disruptive to the endocrine system. Mm-hmm. You're now ingesting synthetic hormones, which is just throwing off, you know, the whole cycle. And, um, you know, we don't need synthetic estrogen in our bodies, which would throw off the breasts. And it can lead to things like vaginal dryness and just, you know, affect the life force of that area. Yeah. But in the book, I do also, there's a a good footnote in there on neem. Um, There's some studies that were done by the Indian Army, very successful, for men to use neem as birth control. 
Neem. Neem, yeah. Is that like N-E-E-M? Yeah, N-E-E-M, mm-hmm. which is this mm-hmm. beautiful, I mean, we make toothpaste from this herb. It's it's a beautiful herb. It's one of the most bitter, but it's a very useful herb. It's great for, um, you know, digestion. I think it's like antiparasitical. It's like very multi-purpose. Um, but it shows to be 100% successful as a birth control for men. I believe... I believe, so I've got it in my book, but I think you've got to take it for 60 days first before it's effective. Mm-hmm. And it's a, like, you know, I mean, a lot of people just take it daily anyway for their tummies and stuff. I believe it's three or four capsules a day. And so 60 days, it literally, you know, does nothing to the man's fertility or testosterone. And um, well, obviously it's preventing, uh, well, I don't know if you're shooting blanks or whatever happens then, but <laughs> as soon as the man is off the, the name, they're able to conceive. Wow. So it's like literally pretty ideal. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's good to know. I had not heard yeah. of it before. I must've missed that in your book. Yeah. And um, it's deep. Like it's, and it's a, it's a footnote. So there's an end note at the chapter, but I mean, this was yeah. like, you know, the Indian army wasn't just like, you know, some guy. Mm experimenting. It was a deep study that was done. And so I think that's an important thing for for people to know. Yeah. Wow. That is good to know. And yeah, along the same way of talking about, you know, breasts, um, you mentioned about the way we smother them with bras. And I I just wanted to hear about your thoughts on containment and also the covering Mm of, you know, vulvas with underwear. Yes. Well, of mm-hmm. course, we do need underwear, but I think our bodies really rebel at polyester underwear, for example. So you really want to have like, that's where you want to spend, uh, you know, a little bit more on an organic cotton for underwear. And you also, you know, want to let it be free a bit too. Like if you're able, you know, wear a skirt or a dress if you're on, you know, in your own home or the privacy of your own backyard. And, you know, you can just, there can just be airflow in that area. Um, If you're able to sunbathe naked, it's very good to put those body parts that don't see the sunshine too much in the sun. There's some old Italian saying that the doctor goes where the sun doesn't. (laughs) And our breasts can use some sunshine too. And um, yeah, so it's kind of like interesting because a lot of our bras, and especially with underwire, really cut off circulation. So mm. if you take off your bra at the end of the day and you have like any indentations or red marks anywhere along that bra area, then you know you then you can see that you are cutting off lymphatic flow. And then mm. because that area doesn't get a lot of circulation, the breast can then just sort of become like these cesspools that sort of gather this, you know, where there's a lot of stagnant lymph energy and that's not so good for the breast tissue. Additionally, it actually atrophies, wearing bras atrophies the muscles all around it. So while we think it holds them up and obviously it does, but it, it like, it's like kind of wearing a sling on your arm if you, you know, injured it. And then you kept wearing it. The arm's going to atrophy with its muscular structure. So, you know, it takes a moment, but you got to let that, you know, get that area strong again. 
And of course, I mean, obviously breasts come in all shapes and sizes. And if, you know, you're very well endowed, you know, it's, it's going to be a different situation and you're going to need different types of support, but wherever possible, if sort of like, you know, something where you can get an organic bralette or a yoga top or sports bra or whatever, that's like got organic cotton with like a bit of lycra, like a 5% lycra Mm -hmm. or a top even. So you're getting some of that support, but you're not going to be cutting off circulation or affecting lymphatics. Right. Yes. Now, if you had a daughter roughly the same age as your son, Mm -hmm. what would your advice be for her in regards to like period catchment? Right. Well, I, I love the new underwear that's out the, Mm -hmm. you know, there's, and there's brands now. And I even was, I wrote to a company, I'm like, you need to make organic. And then they eventually did. So it's amazing. So, but generally just, you know, obviously you want to contain, you know, you gotta contain it to some degree. Mm -hmm. Um, there is even special sort of blanket, not full blankets, but little like area blankets that you can put in your bed at night too if you choose to let it flow, because generally we got to let it flow to some extent. That's why I like the underwear or using a pad and there's like a lot of organic choices in that department. Mm -hmm. But what we don't want to use, what we just don't want to be putting things up there. Um, especially not like, you know, a very normal, like commercial tampon Mm. because the chemicals in there, the dioxins, um, it seems like toxic shock syndrome might actually be a byproduct of mold in in these tampon things because they're not sterile and there's and I mean and cotton right is is if it's not organic it's one of the most chemicalized pesticide laden materials on the planet Mm. and that's going straight up into our yonis which has got this very thin mucous membrane kind of going up into the apex of our being you know perhaps affecting future fertility and even you know, I love things like the Diva Cup in the sense that they're so much better for the environment and it's it's really neat. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of, you know, innovation with female uh, entrepreneurs in that area. However, you know, again, I just, I think generally you don't want to be, you know, putting things up there because right. it's just disruptive. It's a foreign object in that beautiful environment, you know, but of course mm-hmm. they're going to be, and even, even an organic tampon, like, again just save that for like I don't know if you're swimming or something it generally isn't how you want to be dealing with it right so your um, view of what the best way to go would be period underwear over like menstrual cups and other yeah internal for sure things. and I yeah. think yeah I mean the period underwear is just genius and it really mm. they really do uh hold the flow and they're th- you know they're thin and movable it's not like you've got like a diaper between your legs with a, a pad yeah, yeah. Now, um, what other advice would you share with parents of children approaching or in the midst of puberty? Yeah, I definitely, you know, and then washing the skin, you know, mm-hmm. and because working with the oil is really great. It's going to set them up, you know, for a you know, foundation of having good skin for the rest of their lives. And it really helps with acne. And if there is acne, you know, I would be looking at some probiotics and some postbiotics, like a butyrate, 
for getting that digestive flow going because it really often is sort of there must there's some kind of digestive congestion mm-hmm. usually um, that's behind teenage acne making sure they get out in the sun get their vitamin D for their growing bones preventing cavities you know helping their innate immune system mm-hmm. those things are important get, you know getting the men on the neem yeah <laughs> Nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, just thinking back to um, acne. Mm-hmm. What about um, what about people who squeeze pimples? Like, what's that doing when they're squeezing them? Yeah. Well, unless there's a very clear whitehead, right, that you know you're not going to have to like dig around to remove. Mm-hmm. You definitely want to be, you know. Uh, getting the acne, like not poking it to get the acne out. So just calming the skin down with, mm-hmm. you know, different essential oils. Like we make the doodabs. We've got the zippity doodabs specifically for acne and blemishes, working with the essential oils. Um, I mean, like the, uh, sorry, the oil cleansing to wash the face. And yeah, you just definitely don't want to be picking. If you happen to do that, then definitely work with the essential oils afterwards to calm the area and to clean the area and yeah, to, to bring it back down. Right. Yes. Sunshine is very good for acne as well. Oh yeah. And salt water as well, like in the ocean. Yeah. Going back to the elements. Yeah. That's a great thing. Mm -hmm. Cool. Okay. Now, I will put links in the show notes to the Living Libations website and Instagram page and also to your books. Is there anywhere else you recommend people looking to find out more about what we've discussed today or to get in contact with you? Well, we have. So we could, uh, through Living Libations, you can email us also at sage at livinglibations.com and we'll really you know, do our best to answer any question on health, uh, oral care or you know, skin care, beauty. We also have free consultations that we do. On our website, there's tons of articles, and the books are also available in audible form as well. Nice. Nadine, thank you very much for taking the time to come back and speak with me today. I truly appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Yeah. Uh, So my final question for you to end on is, what is one thing you think everyone should do at least once in their lives? Mm, That's a fun question. I think just like swimming in a fresh body of water. I mean, I hope we can all, you know, get to an ocean or a fresh lake and just commune with nature. If you enjoyed this episode, you can join the discussions on our Facebook and Instagram pages. To hear more, subscribe for free on the podcast app on your smartphone. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and all of your favorite podcast platforms. If you would like to offer feedback or suggest a guest, email us at untaming.podcast at gmail.com.